Harry grabbed his broom. No, shouted Hermione Granger. Madam Hooch told us not to move. You'll get us all into trouble. Harry ignored her. Blood was pounding in his ears. He mounted the broom and kicked hard against the ground and up, up he soared. Air rushed through his hair and his robes whipped out behind him. And in a rush of fierce joy, he realized he found something he could do without being taught. This was easy. This was wonderful. He pulled his broomstick up a little to take it even higher and heard screams and gasps of girls back on the ground and an admiring whoop from Ron. What's up, potheads? Welcome to the restricted section, in which a bunch of nerds with potty mouths reread the Harry Potter series for the umpteenth time and discuss how the story and its themes have stayed with a generation into adulthood. Thank you for listening. If you haven't done the reading, don't worry, we did it for you. Here's what we are talking about today. In this chapter, Harry and the rest of the Gryffindors are upset to learn that they will have flying lessons with the Slytherins. During their first flying lesson, Neville has an accident and breaks his wrist. Madame Hooch takes him to the hospital and tells everyone to stay on the ground while they are away. Malfoy uses this to his advantage and steals the remembral which Neville had received in the mail earlier that day. He picks it up and flies away with it. Harry, despite warnings from Hermione, goes after Malfoy, who throws the ball into the air. Harry catches it to the amazement of his classmates and lands safely on the ground. Just then, Professor McGonagall arrives and reprimands Harry. But instead of punishing him, McGonagall introduces him to Oliver Wood, the captain of the Gryffindor Quidditch team, and announces that Harry will be their new seeker. At dinner, Malfoy challenges Harry to a wizard's duel, and they agree to meet at midnight in the trophy room. Later that night, Harry and Ron sneak out of the Gryffindor common room. Hermione tries to stop them, but gets locked out of the dorm, and the three stumble upon Neville, who is lost and also has to tag along. When they arrive in the trophy room, they realize that Malfoy has tricked them. They hear the sound of Argus Filch and his cat, Mrs. Norris. As they begin to run away and hide, they stumble upon the forbidden area on the third floor. The reason this room is forbidden is because it holds a large three-headed dog. Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Neville make it safely back to the Gryffindor dorm. While Hermione is upset at Harry and Ron, she points out that the dog was guarding something and standing over a trapdoor. As Harry goes to bed, he wonders if what was underneath the trapdoor has anything to do with what Hagrid took from the vault in Gringotts. How bad is Tink's breathing in the background? Oh, I actually can't hear it. Okay, because yeah, I, I mean, if, if I need to muzzle this dog, you if know, it gets, we'll just If we'll it just gets really loud, what we can do is let him just pant into the microphone for a minute, and then I can just cut all that noise out. <laughs> that's, that's probably true, a good, yeah. that's probably good. They just want to uh, do it kind of now. I would just say it's a just-in-case, because it might be a thing that you hear on a replay. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Get, let him breathe into that mic. Did y'all get a nice little bit of (laughs) I love that 
Hey, what's up, everybody? How's it going? Hey. We're on the Skypes. It's nice to hear you. So let's do a little roll call. And what I want to hear as you guys introduce yourselves is how do you think your first flying lesson would go? I'm your host, Christina. And to be perfectly honest, I think mine would go god awful. I have never had athletic inclinations and I tend to fuck stuff up on the first try. (laughs) Hey, it's Brooke. Um, I think that my first flying lesson would go terribly. I am all leg strength from hiking and I feel like brooms are a lot of arms and upper body and like shoulders. And that is not my forte. Mm, mm-hmm. Hey, it's Mike. Um, so I'm just going to answer it for everybody. You're listening to a podcast about a bunch of nerds who listen to read Harry <laughs> Potter. I don't think anybody's broom first broom ride is going to be that well. Um, but I personally think mine will be not only bad, but horrendous, embarrassing and life alteringly scarring. One, because I'm 240 pounds, and I just know the moment I sit on that Nimbus, I'm going to break that bad boy in half. Hey, it's Mary Clay. And I think my first flying lesson would go similar to Ron in the movie, where he gets smacked in the forehead with the broom, um, just based on past volleyball experiences at volleyball practice getting smacked dead in the face with a volleyball several times so yeah i have the same condition where balls just fly at my face i also have that condition but not that kind of balls (laughs) (laughs) yeah same i mean literally i'll be walking down the street and just bros i mean balls balls it makes me think of that moment in Tiger King. I'm assuming we've all seen that at this point, yeah? Oh, yeah. He's at the funeral for his ex-husband, and he's oh like, whenever God. I felt sad, he'd just come over and stick his balls right in my face. And yet, when I do that to, and yet, when I do that to Brooke, it's just like, Michael, what are you doing? But, you know, to each relationship, it is their own, I guess. God damn it, guys. We're only like three minutes into this thing. (laughs) So I'm drinking a Moscow Mule tonight. You know why? Because I discovered a hidden trove of two ginger beers in my liquor cabinet. So that was exciting. Is anyone else drinking or eating anything exciting? I mean, I am drinking something, but I wouldn't call it exciting. It is a, it's a truly hard seltzer. I went with the tropical variety pack mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I figured that's the best if I'm, one. yeah if I can't well if I can't go to any you know tropical island I might as well get the tropical variety pack and mm-hmm. um I'm really embarrassed because I've pretty much had all of it and it's been less than a week since I got it so <laughs> this is an intervention actually <laughs> I've been trying all week to drink the well the past two weeks to drink the same bottle of white wine because I don't Aww. drink. Aww. And uh, so it came in handy tonight because we have some fruit flies. So I made a trap with it. And now it's almost gone. <laughs> well, great. <laughs> uh, I've been eating cookies. Uh, oh, good. Um, I've, I have a lot of feelings. Um, <laughs> and I've been eating cookies, brownies, more cookies. And did I mention more cookies? What um, kind of cookies? Bro, like, is this about to turn into the cookie podcast? We're about to go down that route. Um, we've, I, we've baked a lot. <laughs> okay, so all the cookies is what you're getting at. Yes. Nom, 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 nom
Well, good. So today we're talking about the Midnight Duel. This whole chapter is named for a fucking incident that does not occur. (laughs) I know, it's very misleading. Like, she could have gone with the flying lesson. She could have gone with a lot of shit. I, I, the rest of the chapter post-flying is so utterly forgettable, even though it's like a major, like, plot-advancing moment. But it's it's just so nonsense, and that it doesn't relate to the title, and it made me feel really misled. <laughs> I think she just is like she really wants you to fall for Draco's ploy too. So she titles the chapter this. So you think you're culminating to this like epic duel, but like you get pranked, Harry gets pranked, we all get pranked. Which I would have I would have loved to see what a duel between two completely uneducated wizards looks like. <laughs> yes. Sparks. Yeah. Sparks everywhere. Yeah, I love Ron's description kind of of what would happen because Ron is like, I mean, honestly, not much is gonna happen. You're not gonna kill each other. You'll probably just end up like throwing your wand away and punching him in the face. Which is a really important point because are wizard duels a thing that actually still happen in like the adult wizarding community? Do we assume that this is them telling us that adult wizards like frequently Hamilton burr it up? I think that it <laughs> must be the case that wizards still do this or else children wouldn't have really heard about it because I only really realized that like historical duels were a thing pretty well into my education. And so I don't think Ron would just like know that historical duels were a thing. He hasn't even been to school yet. That's my take anyway. So here, here's my thought, and this is for you. If duels are so prominent within wizarding society, like, was Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr just two wizards dueling it out? And people are like, oh, yeah, like, it's a shame. But, like, like, could that possibly be that historically in the Harry Potter universe that all famous duels are nothing more than wizards who were just kind of living under the guise. I don't think so. I think it's more of a thing where there there are actual like gun duels, but wizards are just like hardcore stuck in like the early 1800s, as we've discussed before. And therefore duels are just still a part of their culture because they never got around. I mean, they clearly don't care about child endangerment. I think they just never got around Not at all. to like preservation of lifestyle laws. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's start at the beginning. It begins with Harry hating Malfoy so much, which, like, that's, like, the first sentence of this chapter. And, frankly, like, right off the bat, I was like, Harry, I feel like you're being a little hard on this guy. You've only met a couple times. But I get it. Malfoy's a dick. And then they learn they have flying lessons with the Slytherins, right? So I think it's the sweetest, most, like, basic thing that the thing that Harry's looking forward to more than anything was learning how to fly. Because that's such, like, a human condition type thing. Every time you think about, oh, like, what would your favorite superpower be? Or, like, if you could pick a superpower, what would it be? Someone always brings up flying. And people are, like, vehemently opposed or for, for various reasons. But flying is one of those, like, universal things that humans want to do. There's, like, a whole song about it in, um, <laughs> in Peter Pan. <laughs> oh, I literally thought you were about to say Space Jam. <laughs> Just, I believe I can fly. Oh my god! <laughs> that would have been a much better pull. Also, can we can we also just uh, highlight the obvious cop out that J.K. Rowling takes uh, right like right during the introduction when she talks about kind of the comparison between soccer and Quidditch and how they're so different, but it's so obvious that it's just the Wizarding World's version of soccer. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because, like, soccer goes on forever, so does Quidditch. 
Um, <laughs> soccer's actually really time bound. It's like pretty short. Well, a hundred minutes is still like a long game, and when the fucking rest American be... football goes on forever, I was gonna say yeah, yeah, American but American football, football has way worse. Okay, but American football has commercials. Okay, Bud Light commercials. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, and it has Jennifer Lopez. I thought you were going to bring up the fact that all of these wizarding children who are raised in the wizarding world are like just like being dudes talking shit about all their big flying adventures, and all of them are mad dangerous. We've got children zooming around <laughs> the countryside, people like running into helicopters and hang gliders, and like that's some bullshit. If an eight year old zipped by me while I was skydiving and almost killed me, I'd be pissed. I bet Malfoy couldn't even pick a helicopter out of a lineup, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a weird thing to bring up, a helicopter. Mm-hmm. So then we go to breakfast, where Neville gets his remember-all, which is a pretty fucking, I mean, it's a pretty fucking stupid item. It's useless. I'll so, say it. It's extremely useless. Like, I would be so mad to own that thing. Like, like I know I'm literally always forgetting something. Can you please help me? Also, is there, like, an order of magnitude with it? If you've forgotten something small, is it different? Or is it just if you forgot anything at all ever? I do really like the way she writes it, though. Because it's the grand knows I forget things. And then a M dash. This tells you if there's something you've forgotten to do, period. Look, you hold it like this, and it turns red, M dash, O, dot, dot, dot. His face fell, because the remember-all had suddenly glowed scarlet. Another dot, 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 you've forgotten something, and another three dots. I love that, because it reads it reads so verbally. It's very organic. You can You can 100% hear neville's distress as he gets excited is grateful and then realizes the the true horror the curse really that is owning a remember yeah and then that part is followed by almost kind of like a throwaway line it's a very like understated joke neville was trying to remember what he'd forgotten when draco malfoy blah 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 so I like how it's this joke that she like slipped in as she moves into like the next action in the scene of trying to remember what he'd forgotten. Poor Neville, dude. He's one of those people who just is always, always having such a hard time and you, you like want to help him, but you can't, you just can't figure out how, because how can one person struggle so much? See, that's why I love the movies, because the movies give us Neville, and then we realize that he's a fucking hunk. And so you feel a lot better about his character, because you're like, it turns out all right, because I would want to sleep with him, so it's all good. But when <laughs> you read true. it as a kid, you're just like, man, there's no hope for this loser. I Okay, I need a male perspective on this, Michael. Braun, Harry, Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle are trying to fight all the time at every given opportunity like like right away they're 11 years old and they're trying to come to blows constantly okay rule number one don't bro me if you don't know me uh rule number two engage to you step off bro rule number three bro is that your remember all bro no it's not so fuck off bro and then it's like yo bro this is griff back off sliff so I feel like this is very justified. <laughs> okay, there was no context. I am no, not even sure. I'm not even sure what to say to that. 
All right, none of you have been an 11-year-old boy. So that's what I'm asking. I'm, I'm fucking laying down the rules of what it means to be an 11-year-old boy. Like, Jesus. The rules of being an 11-year-old boy are, yo, it's fucking Griff, not fucking Slith. Yeah, okay, see, so this is this is why, you know, when they talk about the feminist movement, really, uh, I feel there's a short-sightedness, because... Okay, I'm calling it. I'm calling this. We're, we're going to flying lessons. Everyone, woo! Get on, the, get on the broom. We're going to flying lessons. Okay. All right. All right. At, at 3.30 in the afternoon, which is, like, a beautiful time of day, especially in September. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I do like that they mix the houses up for different lessons. Because, like, because they sort who you're living with based on personality, if mm. you didn't have classes with the other houses, these would not be well-rounded people. That's a good point. Yeah. I I was thinking about what the other lesson was like with the Ravenclaws and the Hufflepuffs and, like, Madam, what's her name? Like, Madam Hooch, just looking at the roster of, like, oh, I have the Gryffindors and the Slytherins together in one lesson. This is going to be god awful. And then she looks further down. She's like, well, at least it's immediately followed by the Ravenclaws and the Hufflepuffs. It'll be that'll be a much better lesson. I just was remembering that when I took my driver's ed practicum, it was me and the teacher and one other student in the car. And that's the kind of supervision you need to learn how to drive like a moving vehicle. And yes, I would consider a broom to be a vehicle. <laughs> so these class sizes are probably a little big for just one teacher. She doesn't even have an assistant coach, which I would recommend. Could you? Would you feel differently, though, if you could magic a car bumper or a wrist back into proper form should it get broke? Hmm interesting well well i think the other thing is that a driver's ed class one kid goes at a time because if every single one of 30 students are taking off at the same time how can you possibly monitor who the who's really fucking up basically i do still feel that way i guess is what i'm getting (laughs) (laughs) that's fair (laughs) i think adam i think madam hooch just like i think she just likes chaos where (laughs) Interesting. She was like, I'm going to let these children figure this out for themselves. And sure, they might have some bumps and bruises along the way. Like, she doesn't even call Neville. She doesn't say long. She doesn't say long bottom. She says boy. So she's very like kind of a hands off kind of a teacher of, yeah, you'll fit. Like, I'll give you the first couple steps and some basic guidance, but you're going to figure it out for yourself eventually. This is one of the things that you got to just figure out for yourself, <laughs> I guess. Well, also, the, uh, you can't, like, unlike in a car, like, it's kind of hard to, like, double or triple up on a broom, you know? So I think it's just one of those things where it's like, hey, you just got to get in this bad boy and you just got to go. I'll, I mean, also, brooms, okay, real question. Are brooms a method of transit? or simply sporting equipment. They are a method of transit. Um they're the I think like the primary alternative to people who don't have their license to operate. When I read the books and given like given like our concept that like the wizarding world is still like 17 1800s, I always equated the brooms to be like horses are to us now. We use them mainly for sport, mainly for pleasure, but there was a time period where it was the primary 
go to, and maybe wizarding spells hadn't evolved for other transportation yet. And so that's why they still hold something in their culture. But now they kind of treat them like horses where they're like, oh, you just get on it and you figure it out. Like, go ahead. Well, Harry is obviously very good at it right away. Must be nice. I don't know what that feels like to just be good at something right away. (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) First, I want to point out um, the description of Madame Hooch. It's just one sentence. She had short gray hair and yellow eyes like a hawk. It's one of those things that in my brain sticks out when I think of the attention to detail that the movie has. Because that's exactly what she looks like in the movie. We get something that Hermione's not good at in this chapter. Oh, yes. Which I love. And they, they like, JK kind of calls her out a little bit because they're saying, like, so this was something you couldn't learn by heart out of a book. Not that she hadn't tried. Like, I, I think at this point we're still getting a little bit of Harry sass and the narrator's yes. understanding of the situation because he doesn't like Hermione yet. And you're getting this girl who's just like, I, I mean, she's obviously very nervous, which like I intimately understand. But also like, she's like really not good at this. And <laughs> she kind of doesn't handle it well. I think that part of the reason she gets so angry at Harry is because she's like mad jelly. I feel bad for her because they, I mean, Harry slash the narrator really paints her in a terrible light, this phrase, that she bored them all stupid. That's, like, so fucking mean. Yeah. Like, I get it. (laughs) But, like, it's mean. Uh, I think Uh, it just goes back to that J.K. Rowling is not kind, especially in the initial books, to female characters. I don't think this is being, like, unfair and mean to Hermione, like, right now, because... She has been such an annoying know-it-all up until now that, like, finally it's somewhere where she can be, like, not, like, put in her place, but something where someone can say, like, can kind of, it, like, humbles her. That's one of the things I think is really cool about this chapter is, like, up until this point, like, Harry's had a lot thrown at him. And we've been given little nuggets of rewards, you know, like, he finds out he's a wizard, he finds out he's, like, wealthy and everything. But but these are all things he's kind of been given just by birth and like inheritance almost. And like, finally, this is something that is unto Harry his own ability. And I think that's really cool. And then going to the Hermione thing as well. I think that only makes her more of a relatable and human character. So I think that's a really rewarding chapter that the nuance of it uh, reveals and grows multiple characters without us even really realizing it. Well, okay. The next thing that happens is Neville. Which, okay. okay I've got and, a problem with this. Wait, can I go first? Yeah. Um, so, I, I really don't like to talk about the movie too much, but it has always made me so fucking insane that in the movie, Madame Hooch counts to three, counts fully, you know what I mean? Or And and nobody else kicks off the ground except for Neville. Yes. At, a time, yeah. at a time where, like, she counted down for you guys. So, I, I yes. reading the book, I'm always like, good, she doesn't finish. He did the wrong thing. Because in the movie, it's like, why are you all so mad at him? Like, you guys were all supposed to be doing this. And then he saw that you didn't. And he had a fucking panic attack. And he floated away. It really bothers me. We know that levitating something is a pretty basic fucking spell. Madam Hooch watches Neville drop 20 feet to the ground, does fucking <laughs> nothing, and then is like, 
Uh, broken wrist sucks for you. All right, class is canceled. <laughs> I can only like think that maybe she doesn't have her wand on her, but why the fuck would she do that? Because as we've discussed, this is a very dangerous class. So I, you're right. I think Madame Hooch is a clue. Her name is a clue, and she is constantly drunk. <laughs> I just think oh, she's a fucking wow. artist. I mean, there was no reason for her to walk Neville to the hospital wing. Anyone could have taken him there. Why did she abandon the whole class with these tantalizing things? I almost feel like it was a test. Maybe that's why we don't see her in later books, because they're just like, they're just like, no, you got fired. <laughs> we do see her in later books. Right. She's the Quidditch um, Co- the referee. referee. Yeah. So maybe she is taking Neville to the nurse because she knows that he is like constantly getting lost in the castle because later in later in this chapter we find neville again and he was released from the hospital wing like several hours ago and he like got lost and then he couldn't remember the password to get in and he literally sleeps outside because he's like such a mess feel i feel like actually like madame hooch and madame pomfrey have gotten into fights before about how dangerous this is and about how madame hooch needs to like pay more attention and so madame hooch is going to like explain herself and defend herself <laughs> so she doesn't get in trouble like this bitch did this all on his own so this is the one thing i do like about like jk rolling is she takes like some real major tropes and she turns them into classic relatable things because like, just like what Mary Clay was saying about like, Hey, who doesn't remember when some kid got hurt and it was kind of exciting because it broke up the monotony of class. And if the teacher left with that kid, you were like, Oh sweet. The teacher's not in the room. And like, she's like playing on the concept of the nerds can't do anything. Like this is dodgeball. The nerds can't play. They suck. And like, here's the jock kids. And the hero of the story is like really good at it. And that would almost turn most of us away. But for some reason, we're like compelled and we love it. And we're like spun into it. Harry steals. um, No, Malfoy steals Neville's remember all and like takes off with it. He's showing off. um, And then Harry hops right on his broom. All of his like emotional and like thought process language goes out the window. And it's like Harry ignored her. Blood was pounding in his ears. He mounted the broom and kicked hard against the ground. And up, 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 he soared. Okay. He, like, he's not even thinking. Like, what do you guys make of his, like, of his visceral reaction to Malfoy's actions? Oh, my God. I love it so much because a lot of people will kind of make fun of Harry for... He, he's kind of like the so in some points in the story he's like the jock character where he's mm-hmm. just like I'm gonna act first and think later and that's exactly what happens now where he's like I'm gonna like stand up for Neville who can't stand up for himself right now and I'm gonna go after this absolute twat I also I just love I also love Malfoy in this chapter because he's just like such a little bitch <laughs> But, like, Harry being able to do that, being able to stick up for the kid who's getting picked on is such a new thing for him. He, mm-hmm. like, he used to be that kid. Yeah, actually, at the beginning of the chapter, it, the first sentence of the chapter said, Harry had never believed he would meet a boy he hated more than Dudley, but that was before he met Draco Malfoy. And so this is, yeah, this is the first time where he's able, this is someone he hates as much, if not more, than Dudley. 
And Which is crazy because Dudley has <laughs> really enacted some terror on this kid. Well, yeah. Well, so hold on here. So does so the turn it then to turn it on itself? Then is Harry's actions actually noble and heroic, or is he literally just a dude who hates another dude? And he's just because going back a few pages when they were when uh, Malfoy is walking by and he grabbed the remember ball the first time, they were. It's obvious that Harry is just looking. For a reason. And truthfully, yeah. Malfoy could just literally just be like, Ugh. and Harry's like, nah, dude, I'm gonna punch you in the face. But I think he's looking for a reason because he's finally in a position where he is at least average to upper average in terms of a power hierarchy in a group of people. And therefore, he has the ability to stand up for himself in a way that he really hasn't before. Yeah, but I mean, is just because I, is he really standing up or is he just looking for a fight? You Harry know, Potter he a, gets one friend and he thinks that he's big now. <laughs> yeah, and like, think about it. He's a kid who's been like abused. Most bullies in their own right are people who themselves are abused. So in a lot of ways is, yeah, is Malfoy a dick? Sure. But is Harry a bigger bully? Because he's just like, dude, I want to, I'm going to fuck you up. And Malfoy's just like, bro, chill out. Aw. Yeah. So Malfoy and Harry go at it in the air. And <laughs> that's not really... Excellent phrasing, but even I love. I know you just said that we don't want to talk a lot about about the movies, but I love this scene in the movie because they both sound like such little boys, and it's so yeah. cute. I hated the movies because this scene to me was such an action packed scene when I was a kid. I was like, <laughs> "Whoa, this is crazy!" And then, yeah, you're right. Like the kids are just like, "Wait, it's like it's just some stupid eleven year olds basically playing like you know Duck Duck Goose." It's like you can't catch me. You're like, oh. <laughs> um, but so, anyhow, then he he almost he's McGonagall comes. We miss Harry's intense dive for the Remembral, and it's epic. It really is like a victorious moment where he's like finally for the first time in his life doing something that really makes sense to him, and he's really good at it. And he catches yeah. that fucking ball. I also just want to point out that at one point, um, all of the girls. And then also Ron are cheering for him. <laughs> it mentions when they're when he like first takes off, it says that like all the girls back on the ground and an admiring whoop from Ron. So I just love that Ron is his like first fan. Well, also, can we just all just like go back again to it's something that we initially established. We're kind of, this is kind of worthless. And Harry's like, I will die for this thing. (laughs) (laughs) I will, I will die so that Neville can maybe remember something. Fuck it. Like, (laughs) fuck you, Malfoy. Mike, you'll never know love. Oh, friendship. (laughs) But he does it well. And McGonagall comes and is real pupset. And then (laughs) she leads him through the corridor. And I think this is the cutest thing. So of course he doesn't want to get expelled. Because that was the last thing that was discussed. Because his life is god-awful outside of this place. And then mm-hmm. he, the thing that he's hoping is that he could be allowed to stay on as Hagrid's assistant groundskeeper. I know! <laughs> Let's go live in a hut at the edge of the woods with Hagrid and his giant dogs. So I truly feel like the amount of time that it takes McGonagall and Harry to walk from... Um, the training grounds wherever they're learning how to fly um, into the school like like that takes up a lot of time like a lot of paragraphs it takes up a lot of real estate in the book mm-hmm. and you really feel that agony with Harry 
And I feel like McGonagall is like, this is his punishment. I'm, I'm not going to speak to him for this whole walk. And he's going to think that he's in so much trouble because I know I need to punish him. But also, I really want to see Gryffindor win that Quidditch yeah. Cup. Right. But then, like, bad bitch McGonagall, who is, like, you know, routinely repeated. She is the sternest teacher. She's good at bringing up fights. Here she is being like, I'm going to completely, completely neglect my duties to the student and to the safety of our students in order to have a better shot at a Quidditch trophy that gets awarded every year. Okay, so you guys, you guys don't get this because you guys are a bunch of goody two shoes. So like, no. Whoa! How dare you? No, man. Slytherin. As a kid, as a kid who constantly used to get in trouble as a child, I mean, constantly, like, like suspensions, expulsions, detentions, like, as that, I know that feeling of getting in trouble in class, and the teachers like, I'm taking literally, I, I can think of so many times. That a teacher stopped class and they literally one time I remember a teacher grabbed me by the wrist and physically dragged me down the hallway and they were like, I'm taking you to the principal's office. And I know that feeling of dread because no teacher actually talks to you when they do that. Most don't. As a as a child who felt that, there's nothing there's nothing more rewarding than in a fantasy world where there is a place where somebody's like, Hey, I know you screwed up, but I know your intentions were right, like I know what you're doing, and I see your talent. Whereas as a child who constantly got in trouble and constantly screwed up, no one ever, everyone's just like, how are we going to punish it? No one ever asked, hey, why? Well, okay, I don't know how to read. And it was my turn to read. So instead, I cursed out loud because I knew if I cursed out loud, I wouldn't have to read. And then I would just sit in detention and I wouldn't have to actually be in class. So it is such a rewarding feeling when McGonagall is like, dude, I see your talents. I see your abilities. That's what I love about you, Mike. All your sad stories. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh christ oh no um just a throwaway comment oliver wood was such a crush of mine oliver wood oh, oh my gosh well, 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 I, I, I love how mcgonagall i love how this is like introduced in the book where she says excuse me professor flitwick could i borrow wood for a moment wood thought harry bewildered was wood a cane she was going to use on him Oliver Wood was part of my sexual awakening. And in case there's anyone out there who doesn't know this already, Wood is a euphemism for penis. And the actor, wait, the actor's name is Sean Biggerstaff. Oh, which is a euphemism for penis. I thought he was very sexy. Thank you for explaining what euphemisms are. (laughs) That's a that's a kinky moment, man. We got Wood, we got bigger staff. He's getting spanked with a cane. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, this is kinky. Triple, I love yeah. it. I don't I don't see what the big deal about Oliver Wood is. He's just a teenager. It's like whatever. <laughs> when I was eight, he well, when the movie started coming out when I was like eleven or whatever, he was the hottest thing I had ever yes. laid eyes on. I had never heard a Scottish accent before. I'm pretty oh, sure. Fucking so Scottish good. accents. God, oh, I love him. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, um, you know, American accents are pretty sexy. Have you heard of Boston? No, accent? my no, best, no, no, my no. favorite, <laughs> my favorite accent, whole worldwide. My favorite accent is a Geordie accent from Newcastle. If anyone happens to be listening from Newcastle, just record yourself saying something and send it to me. Yeah, we'll play yeah, it on the get, podcast. Prepare to get punched in the face. Um, <laughs> we do have listeners in. In Europe, 
Oh, okay. Okay, so they're they're talking. I do like that we we get a little hint of the Weasley legacy again, because the Weasleys are actually for as much as Ron is painted as a fuck up, the rest of the Weasleys are good at everything. The first person that he's compared to is Charlie Weasley, who is apparently like a badass Quidditch player. Um, that's very cool. Charlie is, I think, the coolest Weasley. Yeah, but I then love also Charlie. like he's great. Fred and George are also on the Quidditch team. Like, I think Ron is just, like, the leftover DNA. Ron! And Ginny's really good at Quidditch, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's everybody but. I mean, Ron gets on the Quidditch team. Yeah, I mean, eventually. All right, we'll get there, we'll get there. Yeah, wow. Can we just go back? That is literally the meanest insult. You're just leftover DNA. (laughs) Like, that is, Wow. I kind of want to use that against somebody sometimes because, oof, that hurt me. But I do like that we, this little interlude ends with McGonagall saying your father would have been proud. He was an excellent uh, player himself. Uh, just stab me in the heart and kill me, why don't you? Because, okay, this has to be the very first, and I mean the very first time, that anyone has told Harry that his parents would have been proud of him had they been alive today. Uh, uh, we haven't heard it. Uh, uh, Otherwise, in the story, we haven't heard anyone say that, and we get no, we get no narration with that. We get no reaction. I it think, en- that ends the section. Yeah, I think you just realize how much that must have meant because I don't think there's a way to describe that feeling. Wow, I just, I always feel so sad for Ron because, as you said, he's leftover DNA, and. <laughs> And he just, like, this is, like, his first taste of really, like, what it's like to be friends with Harry Potter. (laughs) And it gets worse. So we're in the Green Hall, and then Malfoy comes up, fucking run in his mouth. And then he challenges Harry to a duel, which is just, like, a blind emulation of his father, if I've ever heard one. Like, what kind of an infant challenges someone to a fucking duel and i noted i don't think i've ever noticed this before harry does not consent to this no ron does it for him ron does it for him and i'm just like god damn it dude ron's literally like fuck yeah he'll duel you and i'll be standing right behind him at a safe distance right social distancing I, i like to think that because when malfoy brings up the wizard duel harry i think it um uh Malfoy says what's the matter never heard of a wizard's duel before and Ron says of course he has comes in and I feel like that's just Ron's like best friend Gene coming in being like oh there's no way Harry knows what a wizard duel is but I'm not gonna let him look stupid in front of Malfoy I'm gonna come in and we're gonna act all high and mighty together oh I I also think it's something where we need to really like look long and hard about this is Ron the worst hype man ever? Like, is he the flavor flave of uh, like the ma- magical world? Because I feel like he's that the entire book. He's oh, just a bad hype man. Absolutely the worst hype man. Because then he makes he consoles Harry by saying, "People only die in proper duels, you know, with real wizards." That, and then he's like, "Oh, you and Malfoy will just be able to send sparks at each other." Which I almost wish we got that just Ron and Malfoy like ineffectively sparklering each other. <laughs> like, um, 
oh my god, like when my friend Drew challenges you to a Roman candle fight, basically. Yeah, except which like watch out less for Drew. dangerous. <laughs> You're right, probably way less dangerous. So, so they get all geared up to go to this fucking duel, and guess who has something to say about it? Fucking Hermione, Hermione fucking Granger, who I love Granger. and respect. I mean, she's right. It's selfish as fuck. Like she's completely right. Okay, so I realized reading this that the whole house point system is not actually there to reward and punish behavior. It is there to create a sense of collectivism that keeps people in line in its own right. Because the way that Hermione responds to this is exactly how I think the creators of the house point system would want children to respond. And that's why she becomes a prefect someday. Can Can we focus? You guys are like, oh, Hermione, she's doing it for the collective good. But there's a key sentence there where she's like, she's like, and you'll lose all the points I get from Professor McGonagall for knowing about switching spells. So she's not like even thinking. She's like, look, I don't want you losing all the hard work that I put in to make us great. Like, it's kind of like if you're the winning quarterback or you're the quarterback and the team's winning, you're like, no, I want to throw the touchdown. I want to be the winner. I don't want you jeopardizing this. Like, I don't think she's I don't think she's thinking collectively. I think she's thinking selfishly. It's true. I mean, it's true that she can, it can be both, you know? Like, I think that this is the way that we're supposed to do it. And as a type A personality, I relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, whatever. So, they get up in the middle of the night. Hermione has her little thing to say. And then she gets trapped outside with them. Which... I was really, honestly, I don't think I've ever done this before, but I was really paying attention to, like, consent in this chapter. Harry does not consent to this duel, but Hermione wholeheartedly consents to accompanying them, right? That is completely of her own volition. And frankly, Neville, too. They both, no one was strong-armed into this. They both were like, I am coming with you. Neville, I just... This description of, it was Neville, he was curled up on the floor fast asleep, but jerked suddenly awake as they crept nearer. Thank goodness you found me. I've been out here for hours. I couldn't remember the new password to get into bed. And then they ask him how long it took to fix him. And he's like, Madam Promfrey mended it in about a minute. So what have you been yes. doing since then? What the fuck has Neville been doing? So... <laughs> This is when I was very confused about the timeline here because <laughs> he, so their class is at 3.30. So let's say he arrives at four o'clock at the hospital wing. Madame Pomfrey fixes his arm in about a minute and this is midnight. So that is what, eight hours of Neville just being AWOL. Let's, let's also, maybe we can be generous and say Madame Pomfrey <laughs> asked him to stay in the hospital wing for an hour he still should have at least, like, gone to the, the Great Hall for dinner or something. So, like, that me that also just, like, goes back into my theory of, like, Neville has no idea where anything in the castle is. And so it just took him hours to even get to the Gryffindor common room. Let's go to this fucking midnight duel, am I right? Okay. Yeah. Malfoy. Little bitch Malfoy. Bitchy bitch Malfoy. Little bitch Malfoy. Fucking reported them to filch. That's bad. Like, not even any of the teachers. What a fucking snitch. No, man. Oh, good one. What a strategist. Like, this kid is smart. Like, he's obviously a step ahead of the game. 
and he's fucking smart. He's like, dude, I don't want to shoot sparks at you. I want to get you kicked out of this fucking school. I'm about to fucking snitch. That's definitely a Slytherin move, though, for him to be like, okay. Clever. So obviously, we want to destroy Harry Potter at all costs. So how do we do that? Okay, midnight duel. And then later on, he's like, fuck, none of us know any spells. Okay, plan B. We are going to get him in trouble, and we are going to earn house points for telling someone (laughs) that, oh, hey, Filch, we overheard some kids talking about having a, a duel around midnight in the trophy room. And Filch is like, ah, Master Malfoy, good for you. Ten point. I don't know if Filch can award house points. He most or not, certainly but- cannot. <laughs> but like it's very it's definitely a Slytherin move to get one over on Harry. It's a good point. Resourceful, if you will. Yeah. Also, so, is it is it like getting one over on Harry? Because if Harry gets kicked out of Hogwarts, he doesn't have the protection of Hogwarts underneath him anymore, and now he is he would be vulnerable as an untrained wizard, like in the in the normal world without the spells and incantations and professors of Hogwarts to protect him. Are you asking if this is a Malfoy family long con? Yeah, <laughs> dead serious. Like he's smart. His dad is smarter. His dad uses his son as a pawn constantly. Lending credence to Mary Clay's comments. I think it was you, Mary Clay. Mary Peyton? Who was Mary on the Clay. last podcast? Mary Peyton uh, was on the last podcast. I was Mary like, Clay. I am Mary Clay. <laughs> I, I know which one of you is which. I couldn't remember which one of you was speaking on the last podcast. I don't. I don't know. Um, so she hypothesized that... Um, no, maybe it was Grace. Sorry, this is useless. <laughs> <laughs> Someone on the last podcast hypothesized that Mrs. Norris is an animagus and potentially either related to or dear to Filch. Like That was Grace. Okay. So for me, Filch being like, sniff around my sweet, they might be lurking in a corner. I think Filch is like low-key hiding his mistress, wife, in cat form in the Hogwarts castle. (laughs) Yeah, you don't talk to your sister that way. I think maybe they're just like, they just like got it like that. You know what I mean? Like... Mm-hmm. If any of you have ever played one of the like OG Harry Potter video games from on like a Game Boy or a PC, there's always oh, yeah. there's always a stealth level where like you have to sneak around the bookcases because yep. there's like 20 prefects patrolling the area at night and you have to like sneak you have to like time it out and wait for like the prefect to stop pacing and then he'll, and then you go around the bookcase oh, and yeah. sneak around and that's and like that adrenaline that i had like as a child and also a grown adult who recently <laughs> rediscovered her game boy Matt like completely matches reading this and experiencing this of like oh my god now we gotta go this way now we gotta go this way oh it's right on our tail and <laughs> Neville you fucking knocked the suit of armor over oh my Good god Lord. yo he grabs Ron around the waist and drags him down get the uh, fuck off me dude <laughs> this, this is when I would straight up just be like you two are on your own Ron let's get out of here and well, I, that's the I have the same thought because Harry yells, run, which that is a great risk. Using your voice in a dark room, he is risking Filch being able to ID him by screaming run. I would never have done that. I would have been out of there, dude. I don't don't even, I've known you guys for a week. 
I'm done. I'm yeah. out of here. Yo, so this this is my thought here, right? Is is the first book really like about the Chamber of Secrets, or should it be called Harry Potter and Ron try to well, find a third friend? Well, the Chamber of Secrets <laughs> is the second. Oh, book. sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Uh, my brain is still somewhere. Do you want to start that over? No, oh, I'm yeah, leaving so that in. <laughs> so, but you get me saying like like this book really should just be called. Harry Potter and the very long setup. Oh, and by the way, him and Ron try to find a third amigo because they're yeah. kind of like testing out Neville. <laughs> they're exactly, like, no, yeah. no, Neville. And then they're like, Hermione, your turn. <laughs> we didn't like you before, but Neville was a wash up. Yeah, like, <laughs> if I hadn't read these books before, at this point in the story, if you told me like, oh, yeah, they get like a third friend there's a good chance that like it could be Neville because in this chapter, there's like that little bit of them talking at the start when he gets the rememberal and then Harry tries to defend Neville in the flying class. And then they like bring him along with them on this little journey, like just as reluctantly as they do with Hermione. He's so, on, he's on our minds as our, like as the readers. Yeah. Well, just remember, at the end of the day, he turned out to be hot, and he slayed Mad Poon, so it all worked out. You're right. You're completely right. There's no arguing that. So, they, uh, in their mad chase away from Filch, end up running into Peeves. The truest embodiment of chaotic neutral is Peeves right here, right now. Wandering around at midnight, equal firsties, tut tut tut, naughty naughty, you'll get caughty. Well, and then he like, they're like, okay, like, fuck you. And then Ron takes a swipe at him, and that's when he starts like, raising the alarm bells. So they duck into this room, right? right. And as soon as Bolt shows up, Peeves just whooshes away into the night, like, true <laughs> chaotic neutral. He's I love him. just there to stir the pot. <laughs> he doesn't care who he's inconveniencing. He doesn't care who he's stirring up. He's just really enjoying, like, you know, poking bears. Hogwarts <laughs> yeah. yeah. be the worst place to be a headmaster of because you have all these different layers of, like, people. You have paintings that will literally be like, no, fuck you. I give you set. You know, like, you you have ghosts. <laughs> you have, like, innskeepers. And you basically have hot. You have ha- uh, Hogger. Uh, Hogger. Who's basically the Tiger King of dragons and shit? Also <laughs> in your backyard, like that's a good I mean, point because um, Dumbledore definitely gets summoned more than once throughout the books to handle Peeves. And can you imagine being the headmaster of such a complicated and action-packed school and being called away to handle Peeves as the manager of a business? I can tell you that the job of the person in charge is to handle peeves in all his various forms. That's <laughs> a huge although, part of what you do. I do think probably Dumbledore kind of likes peeves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like I think Dumbledore so could low-key banish him if he wanted to. Because Dumbledore's chaotic good, so they're pretty close together on the alignment chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where do they end up? They end up in the third floor corridor, of course. Of course, which frankly does not have enough protection on the door if a first year who just found out a month ago that she was a witch can get through it. Exactly. Fucking Alohomora. That's all it takes. I heard you say cookie brook. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So they end up 
obviously where they're not supposed to be, which is like pretty classic Harry Potter motif. And it's all happening all at once. Harry's really, his mind is elsewhere. His mind is on Filch and so is ours. So that means that when Neville is tugging on his, what his dressing gown, whatever the fuck that is, like we're like, we are also as the reader, like what the fuck do you want? But you know, Neville has a really good point. They're in a room <laughs> with a three-headed dog. A gigante-sized one. Yeah. Literally, between Filch and Death, he'd take Filch. Right. Which, good choice. Yeah. <laughs> good good decision-making. Like, that has to be nerve-wracking because to Harry, who has, as much as I'm sure he is en- enjoying being a part of this world, I- I'm sure his nerves have been a little frayed all week long trying to keep up and acclimate himself. And this is just that cherry on top. I just go back to this. Haggard is the Tiger King. And <laughs> one of his tigers got loose in a school. <laughs> um, Not loose. It was placed there. Yeah. Well, so once again, wizards are irresponsible. <laughs> and they leave hidden treasures unguarded, basically. Well, actually, speaking of hidden treasures unguarded, they get back to the common room. And I was actually pretty impressed with Harry because he immediately makes the connection. Once I know. Once Hermione points out he was standing on a trap door. Um, he was guarding something. Harry immediately is like, oh, dog was guarding something. What had Hagrid said? Gringotts was the safest place in the world for something you'd want to hide, except perhaps Hogwarts. It looked as though Harry had found out where the grubby little package from Vault 713 was. Like, immediately he's like, oh, done. I don't know what's in that package, but for sure that's what's happening here. So if an attempt, what is, what is Harry now in this one? 10 or 11? 11. If an 11 year old could be set together once again it is just like dumbledore what the fuck because yeah like a new 11 year old yeah like this 11 year old's like hmm all right like hagrid picked up this package and like here we go to be fair like, i don't think i don't think dumbledore quite expected hagrid to be like strutting around green gods like unofficial hogwarts which business. goes back all the way to what i said in that one episode where i said Hagrid is literally the worst guy you actually want to send on a top secret. You did say that. You definitely said that. So this only adds credence to it. I am vindicated. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad we have this recorded. I think we should also give it up for a classic, like iconic Hermione line. I hope you're pleased with yourselves. We could all have been killed or worse expelled. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to bed. I love that line. I know it's so it's it is iconic. Just the or worse expel. Such her, a Ravenclaw at heart. Her priority list is she top needs notch. to sort out her priority. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but like I think once again, I think it just goes back to like the the like shaping Hermione's character and giving her three dimension. Like we are ne- by in that one line, you are shown how in important hogwarts is to her even now in her very young adolescence and you see that grow and grow throughout the entire thing that literally to her this is this is more important than life um and if anything i think that just fleshes her out as a character and really gives us greater depth to who she is that seems like a great place to end this episode actually and (laughs) Mary Clay, I want you to know that that is what Tank sounds like kind of all the time. I love it so much, God. Tank actually breathes phenomenally well for a pug. Okay, so 
Before we leave, I would like to read an email. Yeah. What? what? We have an should email. We this, should we call this like owl mail? Yeah. Okay. Owl mail. <laughs> so what? Nothing. No. Go ahead. Owl, we, got owl owl? Owl? we got an owl. We got an owl. Okay. Delivery. So yes, delivery. Owl delivery. This is from Drew. Drew says, and by the way, this email came in three full weeks ago. So <laughs> Drew says, hey, I am really enjoying the podcast. I am one episode behind. So I just listened to the one about Diagon Alley. I had a couple ideas that I'm not sure were brought up about how Hagrid got on the island. <laughs> oh, yes. no. Yes. When he said he flew, F-L-E-W, maybe he really said flew. F-L-O-O, as in flu powder. And since Harry does not know what that means, he just assumed he said F-L-E-W. That's a pretty good point. Second theory is, more likely what I think, Hagrid flew on a Thestral. This way he could just send it back to Hogwarts on its own uh, once he got to the no. island. Keep up the great work, Drew. Thank you so much, Drew. Those Drew. are some really good points. And as a reminder, we want to hear all of your great ideas because I'm a fan of that Thestral theory. The Thestral theory actually makes immediately the most sense. Yeah. Definitely. However, my, my first question, though, is that, like, can a Thestral hold Hagrid? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> or but that It definitely makes sense, though, because in book five, you see him carrying for the Thestrals and stuff. So it makes sense mm -hmm. that, like, Hagrid would use them for for transportation. Let's uh let's move on to plugs. Mary Clay, do you have a good plug? Sure. As always, you can listen to my podcast. That's what I'm talking about every Tuesday wherever you get podcasts. Um, I recently just started rewatching Umbrella Academy because I desperately want season two to come out like right now as we're all in quarantine and as I was talking to a friend about the sh about season one and he was talking about oh yeah I just didn't really get into it and I was like how did you not get into it blah 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 it's so good and then I like talked myself into getting excited about the series again so if you haven't watched Umbrella Academy it's on Netflix and I highly recommend it hell yeah um Brooke anything to plug yeah absolutely so um Portrait of a Lady on Fire was a really well-acclaimed Cannes Film Festival movie. And because they couldn't really distribute it for as long or as well as they had hoped, they just released it onto Hulu. Um, it is hard for me to adequately explain the, um, the way that I enjoyed that film. It is written by a woman, directed by a woman, cinematographer is a woman, and it's got a pretty much entirely female cast. There are, like, a couple dudes that play, like, bit, like almost non-speaking bit parts. And it is the, a, an absolute masterclass on what the female gaze looks like as it applies to cinema. And as you watch the movie, you realize that you have never seen the female gaze in cinema. Wow. And it is utterly incredible stop whatever you're doing and go watch portrait of a lady on fire immediately if you want to see some wacky cars you can check out on instagram at we're cars rva all one word if you're feeling like uh wanting to uh feel better about yourself 
uh, strongly suggest watching the Tiger King. Um, <laughs> that bitch, Carol, we all know she killed her husband and we all know he's buried under the septic tank. Um, but I would like to plug a book real quick. And I think it's a classic that we all know and love, but I think especially now it's so appropriate. And it's uh, a tale of two cities from Charles Dickens. Um, which is kind of like it's the great Gatsby of its era, basically. You know, it goes through a period of upheaval and chaos in the turn of the century. And I think it's something we can all kind of relate to, especially now that we're going on, and to realize that these times have happened before and these are what make us. And I'll just end it with this brief little snippet, world famous from the opening line of the thing. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. And I really think those are powerful words because there's great hope right now and there's a lot of great uncertainty, but stick with it because once you come out the other side, you'll realize you've grown. That's beautiful. Well, you can follow me on my personal Instagram at ya girl of the world. That's Y-A, girl of the world. Don't ask me what it means because I don't know. The Hatchet and the Hammer by Caitlin Scarano. I literally almost never read poetry because I'm not a big fan, but this was um, written by a friend of a friend. And so I, I bought a copy and I read it. And frankly, it's like really a beautiful work of art. It expresses a lot of really abstract things in really concrete terms, which as someone who does not always appreciate poetry, I really was able to vibe with that. So I recommend it. It's on Amazon and you can buy it directly from the author. I'm pretty sure at her website too. Um, that's The Hatchet and the Hammer by Caitlin Scarano poetry book of like love and loss and trauma and all that good stuff that makes for really great literature am i right yes thank you a resounding uh, yes <laughs> yeet, yeet. so um it's the end of the episode so i guess stay in your house stay the fuck in your the, house yeah stay the fuck <laughs> in your own house stay the fuck in yeah, your stay house stay the fuck in your house stay the fuck in your house and um fuck in your staying house yeah fuck, fuck, fuck in, in your, your staying, staying house. house if you if you can if that's an available option yeah too. It, yeah and if if you don't just stay in your house <laughs> and save it for jesus and save it for jesus The Restricted Section was created and hosted by me, Christina Kahn, based on the book series by J.K. Rowling. All music by Ryan Kahn. Logo by Michael Hardison. Technical support from Sean Watson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at RestrictedSectionPod or shoot us an email at RestrictedSectionPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feelings, complaints, conspiracy theories, or lavish praise. Hey, Mary Clay just texted me that her Wi-Fi dropped off. Oh, no. Oh, no. So we might have to wait for her to hop back in. Okay. Uh, man. But, like, remember what you just said, because that way you can repeat it? Yep, okay. Yeah. I can do that. I have notes on it. Oh, wow. That's that's a that's a sham. I should not have pulled the power cord to her apartment. <laughs> God damn it. April Fool's, bitch! <laughs> <laughs>